Welcome to Late Night with Larry. I'm your host, Larry D. I'm here with my co-host, Vince. Vince, give him a shout out. Hey, what's up? I am the co-host. That's right. Tonight, we're going to take it back to a little bit of 80s music, mainly musicians, some of the music, and just we're going to keep it on the music genre. But our genre is the 80s. Yes, the the decade of decadence. Decadence, right. So, I was telling my brother earlier that I had read a book. Uh, it, it's Paul Stanley's first book. And, of course, Kiss. From the 70s to the 80s, they've been one of the, I wouldn't say metal bands, but i definitely say hard rock hair bands. And in this book, Paul Stanley just talks about his growing up what he's done and what they did to become successful band they were there's a few things about paul stanley i didn't know vince and i'm going to share with you okay so when paul stanley was growing up he got into music because of his lifestyle and uh the thing that stood out to me in this book is when he was in his teens he would babysit the the neighbor's kid right well he also started banging the neighbor. <laughs> okay. At a, as a teenager, he said she would call him over to babysit, and he'd just bang her. So I, I thought that was interesting. And another thing I found interesting, I didn't realize that he was born without an ear. That's why he's always grown his hair and left it down. Right. I, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that either. Yeah, he. I, I believe it's his left ear. He doesn't have a left ear. It was just a nub. And... uh I thought that was interesting. So, yeah. So growing up without a ear, I'm sure he suffered some kind of uh, taunting, abuse, bullying when he was growing up. He did. That's definitely in his book. He always got made fun of, and uh, but it 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 drove him. It drove him, and uh, he talks about in the book. He talks about when they formed the band. They you know would play any show that they could, and. Uh, People would tell him, no one's going to listen to this music. You know, you guys, uh, you're you're going the wrong way. And they just persisted. Right. And they talk about when they met Ace Fraley and how Peter Chris came into the band and uh, the drug problems that caused the band to break up. And uh, another thing they uh, discussed in the book was uh, they said Peter Chris played like a girl they would have to mic the drums so loud because he didn't bang them hard enough really or behind the scenes there was another drummer playing okay because i don't know i i didn't I've, I've never known that before but going back uh like three of three of my uh favorite kiss albums which i think are you you the core you got to have them for the kiss right. rock and roll over of course destroyer and love gun uh, I agree. and to me the drumming sounds awesome well, they they did, and they said they had to they had to mic them loud, and redo them, uh, especially on tour when they were in the arenas, they had to mic his drums loud. Now, now it's funny you say that because uh, I I heard a, or I watched a behind the music, Bruce Springsteen. Not to get off the subject, but he's also he was around in the eighties. His drummer said with the changing times, because he played normally, but I guess as everything got louder and harder, he would have to hit the drums harder. Right. So I guess he developed arthritis in his hands from that. Oh, man. Yeah. And I, I didn't know that. And I, I always thought Peter Chris was an amazing drummer, especially when I was 
11, 10, 11, uh, our dad took us to see him here at the Tingley Coliseum in Albuquerque. Yeah. My very first rock concert. Our very first. Yes. Yep. And Blew me away. I was just going to say, what a mind-blowing experience. And we're like... You know, we had the posters, we had the albums, we, we we were all about Kiss. Right. But just to see them live, it was like, holy shit. I know. The minute they hit the stage, I I was like, this is a different world. Right. And, and Kiss was a great first band because they've always had such a great stage presence, such a great stage show. They went out and they performed. Yeah, they did. And that's true. Their, their stage show was amazing. Even back then, you know, today they may move a little bit bit slower but right bet they and, st- and you don't really want to see paul stanley in the <laughs> half naked come on let's be honest <laughs> no things are going south but, but if you remember growing up in the 80s here in albuquerque we went to a lot of concerts at tingley coliseum we did. and one of the things is like the bands are competing who could have the best stage show that's right because now you go see bands and they have some lights but it's just straightforward music you know which there's nothing wrong with that no if, as long as you got the talent and you got the songs you know bring it right but back then it was it was all part of it it was incorporated the stage show and my memory some of the best stage shows I have ever seen was Mr. Ronnie James Dio yeah no I agree and you did you walked into that concert thinking what kind of stage show am I going to see tonight yes because we didn't have YouTube or none of that internet so we didn't have a sneak peek we went in there and you know you kind of got a an idea because you see the album cover like Ronnie James Dio oh maybe he's going to have dragons or something right and you're right we had to use our imagination as for today the minute they hit the road you, you know what the stage is because right. YouTube's all over it and then remember the next day at school you're talking with your friends did you go to the show right holy shit did you see that 50 foot dragon <laughs> no the, the rite of passage was the next day you wore your concert t-shirt yes yes you, you knew who went that. to the concert everyone had their concert t-shirt on yep. yeah so the 80s were a great time <laughs> yes but but back to kiss you know uh, they they suffered and uh it, it's it's kind of sad how you know well i guess things have to end and it, it's hard to hold it together for as long as they did it is and paul stanley also talks about you know the rock and roll over and and the albums that led up he said and and then here comes the disco era right he said, so, of course, Kiss wanted to stay on top, so they came out with their disco album. Do you remember those? Yes. And and I'm not going to lie, one of my favorite songs is off that disco I album. I was made for loving you. That's it. You know what? You know what? I... Call me crazy, but I like that song. Yeah, I'm like, uh, you could call me whatever, but that song, it stood the test of time because they'll play it on 94 Rock now and yes, it still kicks they ass. They do, yeah. And I just got to give them a shout out because they did stand the test of time they did and, and it's funny even now i don't know how many farewell tours they've had but you know they they come to albuquerque now i hear some parts of the country rock and roll ain't as strong but they come to albuquerque and they sell out they just pack them in well i'm gonna tell you i was listening to uh the Far Out Frank podcast last night. And uh, that shout out to you, Frank Hannon. Yes, we yes. love Tesla. Yes, and this and is a shout out to Kuzlai. There you go. And he was talking to Joe Elliott, and they were saying for this upcoming tour, which includes the bad boys of rock and roll, 
Motley Crue yes. that the Midwest sold out in record amount of time. So that goes to show you rock and roll still alive. Right. But if you listen to uh, Eddie Trunk, Trunk Nation, he, he also has uh, his own talk show. Then he does a show on Hair Nation. Um, he said that rock, I, I guess some places just not as strong or it depends on the artist. Right. Sammy Hagar, for instance, he kills it on the West Coast. Right. But in the East Coast, he has trouble selling out. He has trouble selling tickets. Really? Yes. Huh. Well, he, he kills yeah. it here, too. Well, just like the 80s bands, they say uh, that's why a lot of the 80s bands, they get together and they do festivals. Right. And Because uh, it's when they go out on their own, it, it's hard because sometimes they'll only draw 50 people. A good band may be 500. Right. And, and that's sad, but here in the and well, I don't know about the Midwest, but here in the Southwest, we sell the shows out all yes. the time. And, and speaking of, we're, you're talking about Frank Hanna's podcast. Tesla is slated to be here at one of our casinos, Route 66, next month, and we are planning on going. We saw them last time, and I don't know if it was sold out, but if it wasn't, it was damn close. Hell yeah, and it was a damn good show. They pleased as always. I saw them the first time when they opened up for Def Leppard. Yes, when they opened up for Def Leppard, I saw them they also. Were, it, I was there. In the audience, and they blew me away. I remember the first time I saw Tesla was on Headbangers Ball. The video for Modern Day Cowboy came out, and I was like, "Who the fuck is this?" Right. The next day, I went to the music store. We had a cousin that worked there, right? And uh, it was, I believe, Record Bar at the time. It was Record and Bar. And I said, "Do you know who this band is?" I, I I couldn't remember the name. I I said, "I don't know if it's Tulsa or Tesla." Yeah. So they're like, "We don't know what the hell you're talking about." <laughs> then a week later, she called me. She's like, "I think we got an, a record, and I think this is the one you were talking about." You're like. It was. It was. It's the. It's the Tesla. Yeah, and boom! I was hooked ever since. And they're one of the bands who their debut album, you knew it was it was going to be hard to top with anything that followed up. It, it was, but but they did. I mean, I love all their music. Yeah, I, I do too. I'm not sure if they topped it, but everything else is equally as good. I, I was going to say they've at least stood on par. Yes. So that that's definitely another good band. Now I know you read a book that I haven't yes, read. Yes, it, it was actually. Actually, uh, I'm not much of a reader. I don't know what it is, but when I read a book, a couple pages, I fall asleep. Right. I just get so relaxed, I guess. So uh, I'm a slow reader. Right. But I, I read the Sammy Hagar book, and it was just so well put together. It was. I read it in one weekend, and that was, that was like a first for me. Two days. But it was maybe because I was so interested in the in the content. Right. I've always been a Hagar fan, but it it was great. It showed his upbringings and. One one story in particular that sticks out is when he was young. You know, he had his long hair growing up in California, and uh, he went to a fortune teller just to see, you know, what she would say. And she told him, "Don't cut your hair because it looks good under the lights." Wow. Yeah, and this was before he was a rocker. How about that? That's a premonition. Yeah, and it, it was just great growing up and. He was always very wise with his money. After his first tour with Montrose, you know, he would take all his money and he would invest it. He would buy rental properties. He even started a, it's called Fire Chief, the sprinkler systems. Uh, oh, damn. Okay, yeah, so, I didn't know he had that. Yeah, he started that. Then later on, everyone knows how he got into the the rum, or the not the rum, the tequila. The tequila, yeah. The Cabo Wobble. And it's crazy because he... he started out with the people from Mexico where they grew the agave right. and uh, he built it up 
pretty good, I guess. They they were getting out there, and uh, I guess Sky Vodka. They own the, it's a big company. They own their own distributors and stuff. They wanted to buy that from Sammy Hagar, so he sold them seventy five percent of his company for seventy five million. Of course, he still kept a couple or a quarter of it. So of course, you're never gonna let it all go. Yeah, and then the last time Sammy Hagar came through Albuquerque, uh, we went. It was Sammy Hagar in the circle. It was uh, I forget Vic something his guitar player. He had uh, Jason Bonham on drums and Michael Anthony on bass. Right. And that was an amazing show. It was. And and he was pushing. He had something different. It was his beach bar rum. That, and that shit was good. It was delicious. That, wasn't that made from sugar cane or yes, something? Yes, I believe from Hawaii or something. Yeah, that shit was good. Yeah. But, yeah, Sammy Hagar, he's a, he's an amazing musician. He's a, He writes awesome lyrics. But he's also a very smart businessman. And, you know, you have to be. Look at how many people get in the music business and they end up broke within a well, few years. Because they they don't have the right people surrounding them. They don't know how to manage their money because they don't have the right people surrounding them. Nobody invests. They think it's going to keep coming, keep coming. So right. they, they live this... Well, back in the 80s, the rocker lifestyle, it was all about excess. So they wanted the drugs. They wanted the women. They wanted these fancy cars. But the money's going to dry out. That's right. And that fucking cocaine is expensive. Yeah. And and it's like Motley Crue. We're talking about them because they started up this big stadium tour, which we're also going to. That's right. Just because we love the rock and roll. That's right. But it's... They would have had so much more money right now, but they were just fucking over the edge when they were younger. Of course. I mean, it, it costs money to pay for all the damage to hotel rooms. Uh, the drugs cost money. Yes. Uh, the entourage of women cost money. Yeah, but but they were making it, too, you know, so. Yeah. It, it's, they still are. Yeah, it's... It's a lifestyle that one can only dream of if yeah. you were... Uh, into music yeah we're uh we'll, we'll buy our beer our wine and we'll go to the local brew pub we're, we're like the poor man's motley crew that's right <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's all we could afford on friday night payday yep. let's go have a few beers exactly yeah. but getting back to sammy hagar's book it was it was interesting because he kind of he was already he already had the split with van halen so he let it all out he let out like he said Eddie Van Halen was fucking nuts and Eddie and Alex would always when they would argue they would argue in their native tongue I think they're from the Netherlands yeah I do believe so so they would that's that's how they would argue in their native tongue and he said they would break out into fist fights and shit see that's some crazy shit I never heard of that about Van Halen and and when they were on their last tour he always knew how Eddie Van Halen was gonna act on stage just the way he put up his hair or or wore his hair and and uh, sometimes he'd wear it up kind of like in a a bun or something right he would call that Eddie Van Halen's sumu hair so, <laughs> so it, you gotta read the book it's crazy I, but when Van Halen was at their height it's nuts cause they had the stage and underneath the stage they had these little like camping tents right where like when Eddie Van Halen would do his solo they'd be in there they'd have girls lined up just banging them you know, they'd all take turns and wow, it's a roundabout. Yeah, crazy. Well, I kind of heard the same thing. I don't know if it's true, so don't take it as fact. But I heard for Def Leppard's Hysteria tour, 
yes. the same thing yeah, under I, the stage. Yep, I, I saw that, and uh, it's funny because the girls who would be able to get backstage, they had a special pass. I, I think it was called Boink Lickers or something because it was one of those behind the movies and Phil Collin was, or behind the scenes, right. Phil Collin was talking about that. Well, he's probably like, yeah, we were... Uh, when someone played the solo, we were knocking out a piece of ass. Yep. Which, and no disrespect to you ladies out there, but that ain't too shabby. No, you know what? You know, I, I'm not going to judge you, groupies, criticize you, because if I could, like, go backstage with Lita Ford or Joan Jett or right. Maria Brink is my dream girl from well, Joan, this moment. Joan Jett's a dyke. Yeah, but, you know. Maybe you could persuade her? No, I don't want to persuade her. We just have something in common, so <laughs> we both love women. <laughs> but Maria that, right? Brink, if I could go backstage with her, I'll be her groupie. She could use me any way she wants. <laughs> there you go. So I guess it works both ways. Yeah. Now, now here's one thing I remember you telling me about the book, and it stuck in my head, that you said Sammy Hagar uh, communicated with aliens? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And uh, I think that was the inspiration for When Love Comes Walking In. You know, he re- refers to some kind of alien right. as being love. But he would have these dreams. Now, he would dream. In his dream, it was like he was linked up to the aliens in their ship. And uh, for some reasons... It was always about numbers. So he got obsessed with numbers, started studying math and stuff. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I need a refresher. I need to go through the book, but I'll let you read it also. Sammy Hagar's lived a very interesting life. I, I, I can imagine. Well, he played in Montrose. Then, right. of course, he did his own thing right. for quite a while. And then he got with Van Halen. And then he's had several other little bands, you know. it's yeah. It's, he's funny because he says, I did it backward. Usually people would... Uh, Get with the band and get famous, then go solo. Right. He's like, I would make it solo, then I'd join a band. <laughs> <laughs> and he's right. He's yeah. right. You know, if you ask people if they know him, they're going to reference either Van Halen or his solo career. Right. And unless they're older, then they'll go to the Montrose. Montrose, right. And Montrose was a badass band. Yeah. I remember the first time I heard Bad Motor Scooter. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, hell yeah. And then Rock Candy. Rock Candy's my favorite song. And it, it, Sammy Hagar has a special, uh, I've only seen it on YouTube, uh, Sammy Hagar's Roadshow, where he goes and visits other rockers and stuff. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen he, that. He's been to Jerome, Arizona. He went to visit Maynard Keenan from Tool. Oh, okay. Because he has a vineyard out there and a food truck. What they do is, it's supposed to be like high quality wine and they do the food pairing. Right. So he's been to visit him. But one of my favorite ones, he was in California and he went to visit Rick Springfield. Now, I don't know if you know, he wrote one of Rick's biggest songs. Jesse's Girl. No, 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 no. 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 It's I've Done Everything For You. Oh, okay. Because Sammy released it first. It didn't do so well for him. Then Rick Springfield released it. It was a big hit. Right. And they were talking about that. And uh, Sammy goes, why do you think that is, Rick? And Rick goes, that's easy. I'm better looking than you. (laughs) And he goes, but I'll give you this, Sammy. You're a better singer. Well, here's this, though. He got paid off that, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he had the rights, so of course he got royalties and But it was just pretty cool to see their rapport, because they had met back in the day, but, you know, they've known each other just in passing, but when they got together and talked, they're like like long-lost friends. It's pretty cool. That's cool. That's cool. You see, even the rock stars live like ordinary people. Right. Some of them. Well, it's funny, because rock stars are different. Uh, I don't know if it's because of the money thing they want to keep going, because if you notice, like these wealthy people 
the thing they're afraid of most is losing their money. Right. So we've dealt it with it as vendors. Like we have customers, you know, they have the money, but they don't want to pay because right. they're holding on to it as long as they can. But also with these musicians, a very uh, most successful musicians, they're very intelligent. They're they're well educated, but they're kind of eccentric or they're just they're different right and their brain works differently well and that's funny you mentioned Maynard because I like a lot of tall stuff yes and I hear Maynard's real intelligent yes he is he's smart he's uh, his background he was uh, he was in the military he was in martial arts he's right well educated very well educated I mean but some of the music some of the riffs that on his earlier work yes even with a perfect circle yeah. and his lyrics are he's like a unique lyric writer he and, is. and even his his style of singing and they've asked him where that comes from and he's like well i don't know because i was a runner and you just it's kind of like running you, you get your breathing pattern right he said i, I kind of sing like that i get my pattern going and and it works for him yeah i mean um, i mean he's great I, I love their music oh, yeah tools got some badass music i i definitely dig them yeah i definitely now do. they are kind of an acquired taste they are different yeah no no not everyone likes them but, but. they were I, I believe that when they first started out they were like uh, a political like kind of like rage against a machine yeah yeah mm. yeah or talking heads and, and that's yeah. fine but it, it changes with time as they become right. more but, famous and but it, it was just amazing because Tool hit the scene and people were like huh what's this it, it took an album or two before people really respect them for the quality of musicianship they had right and I I'm a, I borrowed a book from our sister, and it's a, the Luda Ford story called okay. called uh, Living Like a Runaway, I do believe it's called, and it's about her life. And I'm into it, but I'm I, I'm not gonna talk about it till I completely finish the book. Okay. But there's some interesting things I didn't know about Luda Ford that are in that book. Uh, you, you know what? It's strange. Is uh, no, it's not true all the time but a lot of these musicians that are successful when they're young and growing up they faced ad- adversary or uh, they had hard times right. they, they were abused they had no parents or or something along those lines do you think that maybe that kind of upbringing just makes their resolve stronger it pushes them harder to they have a point to prove I, I think it does and I'll just say it for I, I read a uh, Dave Mustaine's book, and uh, his upbringing was was rough, yeah, rough. And yeah, I think, and he was driven. His resolve, you know. I, I guess when you're living on the streets on your own, you know, selling a little bit dope to eat, but yet you're an amazing guitarist, right? Things kind of change once you find out you got a talent. And uh, some of the shit he went through, even at 16, living on his own, you know, his his mom kicked him out. Right. And uh, he went through some shit. And he lived there in Venice Beach in this little apartment. And, uh, you know, yeah, he's how, how, how are you going to make it from one day to the next? But look look where he ended. Of course, the guys in Metella screwed him over. Yeah. So they, and they, they all have their stories. They blamed it on his alcoholism and his temper and shit. But. Well, the way he tells it, he's like, uh yeah they use the alcohol as an excuse and have you read that book no that, okay that one yeah you should read that and we could talk about that but, one you know I've I've seen a lot about both bands on 
on like MTV, the behind the music and stuff, and right. it was just. Dave Mustaine would always uh, I'm, I've, I've always been a big Megadeth fan well, Of course And he would put out an album And it just Bad timing Here comes Metallica Overshadowed Overshadowed him. Yep Definitely But don't get Don't get it wrong I mean to me He was just as big as them you Right know, And and you, you know I'm not I don't want to Well I don't care If I piss anyone off I love Metallica Right But I've always like to make it better. And here's here's my thing. I, don't get me wrong. I love Metallica too. But Metallica in the early days they were that no radio play hard rock band. Yes. And as they matured and became more famous, they still are hard, but they're more geared. I think they write their music, which is more geared to airplay. Right. Which that's fine. That's going to make them money, and that's what it's about. Yeah. And but it's still good music, man. I mean this. Halo of Fire song that, that they're off their last album. <coughs> yeah, that song's fucking awesome. I, I heard that like four o'clock in the morning. I was driving to work. I'm like, fuck yeah! So I had to yeah. crank that. Yeah, Halo of Fire. Uh, that that was good. And there again, you know, Megadeth. They were another one that just couldn't get radio play, you know. But they still sold albums. Yeah, that goes to tell you that it was the music that sold, and not a DJ pushing it. Right now, Metallica. Not Metallica, Megadeth. They didn't have the like concert draw that Metallica did, but they still right. sold places out. I mean, I we seen them here in Albuquerque. They they'll pull a good crowd. Hell yeah, they will. Now I seen them in San Diego. They played uh, the size of something like the Sunshine Theater. Right. To me, that's better though. I love those small venues. I do too. It's up close and personal. Yeah, even though they blow yeah. your eardrums, it's I it's know. worth it. And we've seen we've seen Zach Wild. Black Label Society at the Sunshine. I, I think I've done four, four or five times already. Right, several and, times. And I, I love that small theater vibe because they're right, right up in your face, doing what they do best. And let's be honest, there's not a bad seat in the house. N- no, that's right. No matter where you're at, everything, every seat's a good seat. And hey, the beer's cheaper than the bigger venues. No shit. I know. I know. We go to these bigger venues, and and I tell them, let me have a beer, and and they want not my first child my first two children and the leg of my third right and well we'll take turns buying rounds and when it's my turn I, I have to get on my rocket mortgage and remortgage my house <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> push button get mortgage yep, right. exactly but now I mean there's some good stories some good books about musicians out there um, I, I, I haven't read it I don't know if there's any books about Dimebag Daryl I'm not. I'm not aware. I'm not aware. And of I, I, I think for you writers out there, you ghost writers, someone needs to write a book about Dimebag because that man was his, his, his legend still living on his strong. his riffs with Pantera. Right. Come on, forget about it. Forget about it. Um, that, he was. Yeah. There's another great guitar player. Yes. Dimebag Daryl. But we take it back to the ultimate that got it started for me, Mr. Randy Rhodes. Oh man, man! I, I after I saw Randy, I didn't I didn't see him because, like you said, we didn't have a YouTube. We had MTV, but they very rarely played Aussies. We had videos. vinyl. Yep, vinyl. The records. I would hear. Diary of a Madman, Blizzard of Oz. I would play those two albums. I I think I played them to the ground, but just listening to the way Randy played, I was like, how does this guy do that? And, and you know, it's funny because uh, back in Ozzy's early days, he had this fucking 
this thing about him. He had a reputation, you know, he's a prince of darkness. And I was young, you know. I loved the music, but I was mm-hmm. thinking, I don't know if I want to go see him in concert because there's going to be some crazy fucking people there. <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't care. I was like... Uh, I, I knew it was all about the music. I knew yeah. that's what sold tickets. But it's funny because once we got a little older, we were the crazy fuckers. Well, can, well, I mean, he, you know, Ozzy always says, "Oh, I'm, I'm the Prince of Darkness," but then you see him on the the Osbournes, and he's like, "Shan, I can't find the fucking remote control." <laughs> yep. You're like, "What happened to the Prince of Darkness?" Yep, exactly. You, I, I was just thinking, I said, you know, there was a a drought in California and I was like, I was reading about it and it, actually it was a documentary about how um, some of these farmers are stealing the water and little towns don't have water coming out. Mm-hmm. Not to get off subject, but I thought, what if water ran out all the way to L.A.? You could hear Ozzy get up and say, I'm taking a fucking piss and the toilet won't flush. Sharon! <laughs> I, I think I think I'm in the bathroom. Maybe I'll pissed in the closet. <laughs> I I went to wash. I was gonna get to drink water, and the fucking water came out of the faucet. <laughs> I'm like, uh, we make fun of him, but that man made some hell of music. Oh yeah, he still. You know, I've heard uh, his last one, "Under the Graveyard." Uh, yeah, it, it's good. And uh, even though Zach Wild had nothing to do with the recording, I heard he's gonna go out on tour with. Him. Yeah, he was. A matter of fact, he was out on tour with them till he got hurt. Yeah, and then he got hospitalized. And, and then the whole tour stopped but I'd go see that tour yeah, I, I would mean, go I, I've you know I, I, I like Ozzy but I'll, any chance I get to see Zach yeah yeah, yeah. and f- for me it goes Zach uh, as far as Ozzy guitars goes it goes Zach and then I have to go to Jake E. Lee I am going to jump over Brad Gillis although Brad Gillis did his own thing with Night Ranger yeah. and they had good music but yeah. He just didn't do it for me with well, Ozzy. He he played on Speak of the Devil. And right. that, that was a live album. That was live. He, he was playing Randy's music. Yeah. And and then, of course, he got his opportunity with Night Ranger, and he left right. Ozzy. And, and, and good for him. But if he would have stood, I hear how he plays with Night Ranger. I don't know if that would have fit Ozzy's Mm-mm. taste. He, he's more of a flashy. He, he He's really a studio musician. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what the word I would use. But like when I saw Zach for this first time, he blew me away. I said, "This this kid's something. This guy is got it." And you know, that's music we love. We still do rock on, and uh, we're about ready to cut this short. So we're going out to see some shows. We're starting here next month, and uh, usually. Anytime, it don't matter what time of year, a good show comes to Albuquerque, we go. You guys get out there, see some shows, support the the music thing. I mean, it's great. It, not only for the community, but it, it brings the next generation into it, and music is so important. Right. Turn your kids on to some of the old 80s, 70s, 80s yes. rock, and, and let them see what, show them the videos too, let them see what real musicians did, people who actually played their music. Yes, yes, and uh, let us know who you're going to go see. That's right. And, uh, Invite us. Maybe we'll go with you. But I will say this, ending this, we are going to see Def Leppard, The Crew, Poison, and Joan Jett. And we will definitely be podcasting about that show. Oh, yeah. We'll even podcast about the Tesla show next month. That's right. That's right. So on that note, if you want to get a hold of us, you drop us a line. Tell us how we're doing. 
or like my brother says, just tell us we suck. Here's how you do it. You can email us at late night with Larry fifty five at gmail dot com. And that's one word, late night with Larry fifty five. Vince, any closing statements? No, just no? Keep the faith, you guys keep rocking. Let's keep it going. That's right. Have a good night. Later.